Hey y'all, I'm Melanie. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Old North State Podcast. We're bringing you on a deep dive into all things North Carolina. Hello. Hello. Happy Friday. It is Friday indeed. Good to see you again. Yes, absolutely. How are you? Um, I'm hanging in there, staying dry. Same. Same. Speaking of uh, staying dry, I have a very fun on this day. Actually, this is more staying cool. So on July 9th, 1933, the Tarboro Town Council approved the purchase of a refrigeration unit for the town's municipal pool. Whoa. There was Breaking an, news. Um, there, it was an unseasonably hot summer that year in eastern North Carolina, and the town had just recently put in an Olympic-sized pool for residents to enjoy, but the water was too warm. So they uh, bought a refrigeration unit for $3,000, and the pool closed in the 1970s, and it is believed to be the first and only refrigerated pool in the nation. <laughs> Wait, the pool is refrigerated by the refrigerator? Refrigeration unit is what it says. Oh. Well, that's cool. It was Nick. Excuse me. Sorry, I was yawning. It was nicknamed the cool pool. Absolutely. Yeah. How cool. It is pretty cool. <laughs> when, um, when I worked at that Hampton in Wilmington, uh, there was a pool out in the back. And in the summer, um, it wasn't heated or anything, but... but because, you know, it's a summer mm-hmm. location. But in the summer, people would complain that the pool water was too warm because it would be baking in the sun for, you know, months at a time. Yeah. And at one point, we had so many people complaining <laughs> that we literally, like, filled up buckets of ice, poured it in, and we were like, go crazy, you know? Yeah. Like you would for, like, a dog in the summer? <laughs> exactly. We treated them like dogs. that's not what i meant but okay (laughs) so what are we talking about today well um if you follow spooky clt at all you know i've been hyping up lake norman monster week so we are somewhat kicking it off with a deep dive into the waters get it of lake norman deep dive (laughs) yeah i said that i said that intentionally All right. So Lake Norman. Yeah. So let's do it. So it's always funny because like (laughs) looking, look, like whenever we research stuff or not we, but whenever, when I started researching stuff for um, like spooky CLT in Charlotte, you kind of want to go back to the origin and you have to get out of that thinking of, oh, the origin is when white people showed up. Um. This is and that's kind of. This is honestly the perfect example of a time when white people showed up. Yeah, that's why I said it. Okay. <laughs> okay. You thought I was just rambling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So go ahead. That was okay. a nice little precursor to yeah. what you're about to say. So. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, just making sure we were on the same page. So once known as the Great River to the Native Americans who inhabited it, in. in 
I'm sober, I promise, who inhabited this land, the Catawba quickly became the world's most electrified river throughout the early to mid-1900s. 225 miles long, the Catawba River flows in 26 counties throughout North and South Carolina and provides water for more than 2 million residents and electricity for nearly 3 million. There are now 11 major lakes and 14 major dams on the Catawba in both North and South Carolina. These lakes include Lake James, Lake Rodis, I believe is how that one is pronounced, but I'm not sure. Your guess is as good as mine. I googled it, so that's what Google told me. Lake Hickory, Lookout Shoals, Mountain Island Lake, whoop, whoop. Lake Wiley, Fishing Creek Lake, Great Falls Lake, Rocky Creek Lake, Lake Watery, and our very own Lake Norman. Just a short drive from just a short drive from Charlotte, uh, Statesville, and Lincolnton, more than twenty-five thousand people call Lake Norman home today. But what do we really know about this man-made lake? A whole bunch. We talk about it all the time. That's true. That's that's very true. In 1895, the world's first hydroelectric plant was built at Niagara Falls. An engineer from South Carolina named William States Lee was working on the project and thought, hmm, why can't we do this on the Catawba River? Lee had a friend named Dr. Walker Gill Wiley, who was already experimenting with hydroelectric power in South Carolina. The pair met with James Buchanan Duke, who was president of the American Tobacco Company. And if you remember anything from our Durham's Black Wall Street, James Buchanan Duke had a hand in that as well. Uh, James Buchanan Duke had already been acquiring land in South Carolina because he knew that there was a future in the textile industry in the Carolinas, and he supported the idea of using water to generate power. In 1904, the Catawba Power Company opened the Catawba Hydro Station in South Carolina, which provided electricity to the Victoria Cotton Mills. This is considered to be the birth of what is now Duke Energy. Interesting. Yes. Quite the origin story. Yes. And in 1905, the Catawba Power Company was incorporated in New Jersey as the Southern Power Company. And in 1927, the Southern Power Company became Duke Power. So by 1928, 10 dams had been completed with a dozen powerhouses. Yeah, we um, you mentioned before that there's 11 lakes. Mm -hmm. And uh, an easy way to remember that is from one of our favorite breweries in town called Eleven Lakes. Yes. They are also the ones who created the beer of, uh, it was like the <laughs> Northern Aggression oh, gosh. IPA. <laughs> anyway. Interesting. So, yeah. Duke Power began purchasing lands for what would become Lake Norman as early as 1906. It was initially referred to as the Mountain Island Development Number 2, with the first being the Mountain Island Hydro Station. By the early 1950s, Duke Power had almost everything they needed to start on their project. Their little project. Just a little just, side just project. A little, a little side gig. Yeah. A little so passion project. <laughs> so plans to build a dam at Cowan's Ford and create the Cowan's Ford Lake were introduced in 1957. The dam was to be 120 feet below the lake and 70 feet tall. 
Unlike steam plants that Duke had already constructed, and from now on when I say Duke, I'm talking about Duke Power, uh, the Cowan's Ford Dam would include water turbines that could be stopped and started in order to control energy generation. So this was an opportunity to transform the textile industry from steam-generated power to electricity. Wow. Look at all that progress. Yes. Some would call it a carousel. If you're talking about a mill, you know, a little you know, spinny I, turbine. You know, I didn't say that because it was going to be too forced. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know if everyone who listens to this podcast is as familiar with uh, Disney rides That's fine. as we are. <laughs> That's fine. So, with the creation of this dam would also come a lake. Lake Norman would be the final and largest of the lakes on the Catawba River. And it was named after Norman Atwater Cock. Thank God they did not name it Lake Cock. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Imagine the t-shirts. <laughs> no. I don't want to. So, this guy... I saw a monster at Lake Cock. <laughs> we should make a petition to rename Lake Norman Lake Cock. I don't think that would go over well. I think it might go over a little too well. Who knows? But, so this man was the president of Duke Power for like 30 years. Ah, yes. President Cock. Go on. The lake was specifically designed to provide electricity via the hydroelectric dam at Cowan's Ford to the south and a coal-fired station, the Marshall Steam Station, to the north. So they, would, um, so they also wanted Lake Norman to provide flood control and fresh water to the region. So in order to create the dam and Lake Norman, uh, Duke Power needed approval from all of the town halls in the area that would be affected by the river transformation. And some of the towns were reluctant because of all of the historical landmarks and different sites that were located in the area, which we will talk about at the end. So they had to convince people living there to leave as well. And a lot of the land had been within the same families since the 1700s when people first started settling here. And Duke Power even got a guy who went around literally to like every single house and every person to talk to the residents and try to explain to them what was happening, what was going to come. And once people realized what was going on, they either moved or they traded their land for land along the shore of what would become Lake Norman. And families could lease one acre waterfront lots for $120 a year, but Duke Power reserved most of the waterfront for future power sites. And they didn't actually start selling lots until 1977. So eventually, in 1957, the Federal Power Commission granted Duke the project license, and Duke also received approval to clear over 23,000 acres of vegetation in places that were going to be affected by the future flooding. So I was reading this, and I was thinking, like, I, like, I do believe that there's people that kind of just live out in random spots, off the grid, kind yeah. of in plain sight, um, especially definitely more so, um, you know, 60, 70 years ago, it was probably mm -hmm. easier to do so. So I wonder if there was like people who were just, you know, living out and one day the water just started rising and rising and rising and they were like, oh God. Like in, um, Oh Brother Where Art Thou? 
Exactly. Oh, I hope not. I don't know. Maybe we'll look into Just that. Just something to think about. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they're not around to tell the story. They might be. Who knows? They survived that movie. Right? Not without the help of their friends. That's fair. So the groundbreaking ceremony was held on September 28, 1959, and it was attended by hundreds, including the governor at the time, Luther Hodges, who flipped the switch that set off the first dynamite. What an honor. The dam was completed in 1962, and water began filling into the surrounding area. And because of heavy rains that year and the year before, the lake was almost completely full by the summer of 1964. On September 29th, 1964, the dam was officially dedicated and open for business. And it took upwards of 1,500 laborers and engineers to complete their project, and it costed... Costed? It cost? It, it cost, cost $62 million, which is about $481 million today. That's a lot of money. So plans to build the... McGuire Nuclear Station were introduced on November 17, 1969, and Duke Power announced their formal intent to construct the plant in February of 1970. The groundbreaking ceremony was held on April 1, 1971, and ten and a half years later, on September 12, 1981, the first kilowatt of electricity came out of McGuire. McGuire remains the only nuclear plant on its shores. And we know that because we live four miles away We're and have the, the fallout zone. We are in the fallout zone. Danger zone. So if there's ever a nuclear disaster, uh, we will hear the alarms go off. Kiss your fertility goodbye. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to think about that's like that's like one of my biggest fears, honestly. Oh, sorry to joke about it. It's okay. I guess I just remember the Sharon Harris meltdown. Anyway. I don't know what that is. It, okay, we'll talk about it after this. So, a water refuge was built below the Cowan's Ford Dam to shelter migratory birds in the winter. How nice of them. How thoughtful. And it's also, so if you're going down Beatty's Ford Road, the Cowan's Ford Wildlife Refuge is on the same turn as Rural Hill, which was where John Davidson used to live. In case anybody wants to know. Um, so Duke Power also provided 10 public access access areas along the lake, as well as 1,300 acres for the Duke Power State Park, which is now Lake Norman State Park. How kind of them. The shoreline stretches 520 miles and has a surface area of 25,000 football fields or 33,000 acres. It spans four counties, Mecklenburg, Iredell, Catawba, and Lincoln. It is about 34 miles long from tip to tip and about eight to nine miles across at its widest point. I read eight on one source and nine on another. So somewhere in that vicinity. It, um, it shrinks when it's cold. That's fair. Good old lake. <laughs> It's 760 feet above sea level and 130 feet at its deepest point. 
It holds 3.4 trillion gallons of water and provides a dependable water supply to Lincoln County, the town of Davidson, the town of Morrisville, Charlotte, and the town of Huntersville. So this huge project meant that homes, towns, businesses, cemeteries, etc. had to all be moved. The lake was anticipated to be um, a little bit more shallow than it is at this time. So they had to basically tear down trees, houses, anything that could cause like debris or anything that would make underwater hazards later. So why don't you tell us all of the fun things that are under Lake Norman? This is not an exhaustive list. Um, if you want to go to the Davidson College Archives website, they've got a fun link with all these little dots on it and you can like click on them and it'll pop up what's underneath the lake. So these are just a, a few fun ones that I liked. <laughs> yeah. Um, and to make it super easy for you, I actually put that link to the map in my link tree on the Spooky CLT Instagram account. Oh, how fun. Um, yeah. So, numero uno, the Elmwood Estate. This is a... Georgian? I was about to say Gregorian. <laughs> Isn't that like a biblical word? Yeah. Um, a Georgian-style plantation, home built in the 1820s and owned by John D. Graham, son of Revolutionary War hero General Joseph Graham. The estate was in the Catawba Springs Township, which is um, is where North Carolina's elite went to escape the summer heat prior to the Civil War. In order to save the plantation house from being flooded, it was dismantled. They had first dismantled the interior, interior and carted off and stored it in a barn. But then in 1961, there was a barn fire. They lost it, and then they just gave up on the project, and now the bones of the plantation are at the bottom. That'd be cool to, like, scuba right. dive and see. I wonder how much is still there. I don't know. Um, then there is Camp Fellowship. This was a camp created by the Presbyterians' Orphans Home in Bar Barium. Barium Spring for the benefit of orphans and children under their care. The camp opened in 1938 and benefited over other orphanages in the area. Then there is the Long Island Mill Village. The Long Island Mill was one of the earliest cotton mills in the south and opened in the mid-1800s and was owned by Superior Yarn Mills Company. In 1919, a concrete dam was erected and to replace the old log dam. The mill, village store, and many other homes were owned by Duke at the time. The plans um, for the lake were announced and the mill officially shut down in October 1959. A lot of the employees were born and raised in that community. Now it, it probably would have been turned into apartments. So, Oh, absolutely. It's kind of nice to, you know, you either die a hero at the bottom of the lake or you turn into $2,000 one-bedroom apartments. Oh, it would be way more expensive than that. The East Mambo Mill and Village uh, was another cotton mill that was constructed in 1907 and had entered into full production by the end of 1910. By 1920, the mill had over 350 employees living in the village. Much of the heavy machinery was left behind and bolted to the floor before the building was demolished. Another cool thing that you would be able to, to still see today, because that's not flowing to the top. Well, they, well, the building was demolished. But the heavy machinery was left behind. And then they demolished the building. So they didn't take it out. They just demolished the building with the machinery in it. 
Oh. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, each male employee, uh, employee, give or take 120 people who lived and worked in the villages. Most could not afford to buy new land or pay to have their homes moved. Many were either compensated for the property or traded their land for what would eventually become the lakefront. Because the mill village house was made of wood, or because their houses were made of wood, the ones that were not moved were demolished. Sad. There's John Oliphant's grist mill. The grist mill was a water-powered mill for, for grinding grain that served early settlers and farmers until well after the Revolutionary War. Oliphant had purchased the land in 1755. Then, there's Beatty's Ford. Um, the, the Beatty's Ford. Like, the Beatty's Ford. The actual Ford. Dubbed by John Beatty himself. Yeah. Who, in 1749, crossed the Catawba at this particular ford, which we know um, fords are just river crossings. Go listen to episode two. Very important. He was an early Scots-Irish <laughs> landowner who was one of the first settlers to cross the western side of the Catawba River. Then there's Sherrill's Ford. Adam Sherrill and his eight sons were the first documented white settlers west of the Catawba in 1747. This ford was located around the center of Lake Norman. You can also find the site of the Battle of Cowan's Ford. If you don't know what that is, you can listen to episode two and find out all about it. Yeah. Man, do you remember episode two? Yeah, Back that in one the was day? rough. That we, was the um, one that we didn't re-record and I just laughed the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've learned a lot since then. We still have a lot to learn. Yes. Um, Maybe we'll but it's so funny. <laughs> Maybe we'll re-record that one for next year. We're, anniversary. We are never going to run out of things to talk about. Um, but yeah, I think it would be fun to revisit some. Yeah. Especially, especially since a lot of that story has to do with uh, General Davidson's ghost. And mm -hmm. like, you know, now that a lot of more people are talking about that ghost, I wonder if anyone's going to get like footage or find so, more clues. Funny story. Um, read the next one. The home site of General Davidson. Or George. Sorry, George Davidson. <laughs> his father of General Davidson. Um he was an Irish immigrant who moved to North Carolina from Pennsylvania in 1750. Yeah, so if you go visit the uh, Lake Norman Wikipedia page, there are um, ghost stories that are linked on there. And this is one of the ones, is General Davidson's ghost. Yeah, because he rides his horse from Hopewell Presbyterian on Beatty's Ford all the way down into Cowan's Ford yeah. to the battle site and then to his home, which is underwater. Yeah, how sad. How sad. How dare you, Duke Power? That's probably why he still rides, because that's where he died. A mixture of that and the British just, like, parading around his naked body, probably. Yes. Let's see. A submerged airplane is under Lake Norman. In 2013, firefighters using sonar found a submerged airplane. It's about 90 feet under and not visible from the surface. They believe it may have been submerged in the summer of 1974. So they're not, they're not sure. I have a theory. Does it have to do with UFOs? No. Okay. Because some people believe that this that this plane was submerged around the time that UFOs started being sighted. Sighted? Sighted. Over Lake Norman. Seen? Seen. <laughs> Seen. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, my theory is, like, so we've been out on the lake plenty of times, and there's that one um, house that has, like, a driveway into the water for the dude's plane. 
So I have a feeling that one of these like rich people on Lake Norman just lost their personal plane and was they like, might have. you know, I'd rather just buy a new one than go through the process of getting this other one that's 90 feet underwater. Also not going to tell anyone about it. So I read um, that this plane is at like one of the deepest parts of the lake. Well, you said it's about 90 feet underwater. Oh. And then yeah, it's 100 that, and something. Yeah, yeah. Is the... that would be a deep part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the my favorite things to tell people that's under Lake Norman are cemeteries. Dead bodies, dun, dun, dun. bones, and skeletons. Yeah, I'm just waiting for one of these days. Where, like, the erosion just gets so bad that, like, the coffins... Start raising to the top. Like they do in New Orleans when hurricanes come through. That has to have already happened, though, I I think. I don't know. If it did happen, it would have happened, you know, 50 years ago. Probably. Um, but it would be cool if, yeah, one, like, came to the top and... What's her name? Uh, Bones? Just, like, yeah, Kathy Showed Rikes. up, and she's like, oh, this person actually died at this time. And, you know, yada, yada, and yada. <laughs> Murder! And it, and it was after the lake was formed. <laughs> Norman Cock himself killed this person. <laughs> Wouldn't that be... That would be, like, a fun, like, episode of Bones that they could have done. Yeah. The, I mean, I love talking about the fact that there's cemeteries under Lake Norman because, I mean, for us, we talk about Lake Norman and we're familiar with the history, but talking to strangers at bars and talking to, you know, other podcasts or people who are into this stuff... They have no idea it's a, a man-made lake. So they find out that they, you know, have been driving around drinking on a lake and there's yeah. cemeteries underneath them and towns and submerged plains. You know, it's cool stuff. Yeah. So original sites of graveyards and cemeteries were moved to higher ground to make for, way for the lake. So they say um, these include cemeteries like the Cornelius Family Cemetery, the Hunter's Chapel. What is that M-E before Zion Church? That's just what the website said. It said M-E Zion Church. Cemetery. I always see that on signs. It makes no Is it a like a abbreviation of something? Because it's not saying like me. Let me Google it. Um, so Zion Church Cemetery and the Caldwell Family Cemetery. A 46-page document was published with the intent to inform the public of what they were doing and, and indicated that seven family cemeteries and a single grave for a Mr. John Abernathy oh, um, were moved. It's A-M-E. I forgot. I left the A off. African Methodist um, Episcopal. There we go. That's How cool. what A-M-E stands for. In case anybody doesn't know what A-M-E Zion stands for, it's African Methodist Episcopal. So you're all welcome. Sounds like a <laughs> A-M-E sounds like a fraternity. Yeah. Sorry. In many cases, only the headstones were removed and the remains were left undisturbed. That's why I said in quotations, because, I, you know, just like the movie Poltergeist, I'm sure they did all of the paperwork to move everything. But oh, when it sure. comes to nickel and diming construction projects, yeah, they're not moving those bodies. Yeah. So fun little story. John Abernathy um, died in 1816 and his grave was discovered by Duke Power in 1958. So this was the single grave that they moved. Mm-hmm. And needing to relocate the grave, they advertised the gravesite in the Charlotte Observer on November 23rd, 1958. The gravestone was, in quotations, removed from the site. Since it was on their land, Duke reported it to Lincoln County Sheriff's Department. In 1959, someone claimed to be an Abernathy descendant 
consented to the relocation of the grave and the remains. Because the original gravestone had not been found yet, Duke paid for a new headstone at the Hills Chapel Cemetery. The original headstone eventually turned up in the possession of an Abernathy descendant. After contacting a genealogist, it was suggested that they put the original stone at the Unity Presbyterian Church Cemetery. So this man has two grave sites and two headstones, and we have no idea where the body is. Yeah, two different grave sites with two different headstones, only one of which is original. Yeah. And they're not the same original. How if that um, makes sense. How popular. <laughs> I wonder like I wonder if that guy like haunts anything. Like do you think he haunts the Hills Chapel Cemetery? Cuz his remains were disturbed allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, I don't know. If I was a ghost, I would haunt people for doing that to me. Yeah, so what lies beneath Lake Norman, you may ask? Uh, Lake Norman is the home to over a hundred species of birds and a variety of different animals like amphibians, snakes, turtles, mammals, like deer and coyotes, as well as a diverse population of fish. Many of the different types of fish um, were artificially introduced to the lake by fishing clubs and different organizations. And the other thing that's underneath, you'll have to find out next week um yeah lake norman monster <laughs> yeah so if, like I, I keep talking about it on instagram because um, i'm trying to do this thing called lake norman monster week which is the charlotte version of shark week on discovery channel since we don't have any sharks we don't um but there's been piranhas what in lake norman excuse me I mean, like, they're not, like, indigenous, but... Clearly. They found, you know, piranhas with sharp teeth in Lake Norman. Man. When? You know what they also find in Lake Norman frequently? I don't know where you're going with this. Oh, okay. I I thought you were about to say, like, bodies as people. And I was like, that's super... There's literally, like, a health advisory and, like, do not swim health advisory at least... At least like once every three or four months. Yeah. On Lake Norman. The last one just ended last week. <laughs> um, or so we think. Yeah, it, so it we ended think. suspiciously right before the fourth of July. Ugh. So I wonder who was behind. Yes. Um, that did you get pink eye last week on Lake Norman? Because there's probably a reason why. <laughs> you may be eligible for compensation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, so what lies beneath Lake Norman, if you want to look at that map we were talking about, visit my Instagram at SpookyCLT, and you can look at the link tree in the bio. A link tree is just a little link to a bunch of other links. I'll also put it in the show notes. Of course. And uh, yeah, go crazy. Um, And then make sure to tell people you know about what's under Lake Norman, because apparently a bunch of people don't know. Yeah, it just kind of blows my mind. I'll try to post some pictures of some of the old mills and stuff because they've got them online just so we can all kind of... Because they're, I mean, these were like, these weren't just like your old, I mean, these were like huge mills. Yeah. Our parents are older than Lake Norman. Like, isn't that funny to think about? Don't tell them that. I kind of just did. (laughs) (laughs) 
if uh, if y'all are listening. Um, <laughs> respect Oops. your elders, kids. All right. You're not old. Anything else that you wanted to tell the people at home? Rate, review, subscribe. Use the code for high-quality yeah. CBD products. Yes. Um, go to our Instagram account. You can find our code there. I'll also put it in the show notes if you want 15% off your order for Queen Hemp Company. Their products are great. Just throwing that out there. Cool. And we'll see you next week for the Lake Norman Monster. Sources for today's episode can be found on our website at anchor.fm slash old north state pod. If you want to send us a topic suggestion, a funny story, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at oldnorthstatepod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Old North State Pod. Cheers, y'all.